I want to start out with a little story. Uh, My wife has been a little bit freaked out lately because uh, there's been some posting in our neighborhood of bears. And I don't know if if you have bears in in your neighborhood or not. I don't even know if this is real. I just know people are claiming this. I find it hard to believe, and, and this is my reasoning, and I think it'll make sense to you. How does the bear know the gate code to get into the community? All right? So right there, I'm a little leery of that. But it reminded me of the story of two campers are walking through the woods when a huge brown bear suddenly appears about 50 feet in front of them. The bear sees the campers and begins to head toward them. The first guy, he drops his backpack, begins rifling through, grabs his tennis shoes, and begins to put them on. And the second guy says, what are you doing? Sneakers will not help you outrun the bear. He said, I don't need to outrun the bear. I only need to outrun you. Tonight, we are going to continue with the series, The Bigger They Are, The Harder They Fall. This is round six. And what we've been looking at is the fact that God has supernaturally delivered the Israelites from Egypt and brought them to the promised land. This is the place where all of God's promises can be received. The Bible says it's a land flowing with milk and honey. We looked at that. That means a land of health and prosperity. How many of you know that God designed you to walk in health and prosperity? We were never supposed to be living on Barely Get By Boulevard. All right, we look at the Bible says that God's will is that the earth be like heaven. Heaven has streets of gold, pearly gates, mansions. God wants the best for you while you are here. Now, the problem is when they get to that land, there is giants in that land. And we defined a giant this way, any hurdle or obstacle that hinders you from improving your life and seems impossible to get past. Again, any hurdle or obstacle that hinders you from improving your life and seems impossible to get past. Are there giants in your life right now hindering you from getting all that God wants you to have? I want you to understand that when God sent them to the promised land, he knew those giants were there. It's not like God got there, they got there, and they saw the giants, and God's like, whoa, missed that one. He knew the giants were there, and he knows when he sends you to do some things in your life that there are going to be giants or obstacles that are going to try to hinder you from grabbing a hold of what he has. But we need to learn how to overcome them. And what I have experienced in life and what I've come to know is the bigger they are, the harder they fall. That means those giants are going to fall in your life. Go to Deuteronomy 7.1. Deuteronomy 7.1, this is the foundational text for this teaching. I'm going to read this from the ERV version. It says, the Lord your God will lead you into the land that you are entering to take for your own. He, this is speaking of God, will force out many nations for you. So it is God doing the work for you. 
It says the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and more powerful than you. I always have to chuckle at the end there because God's sending them into the land. He tells them who their enemies are going to be, and then he says that they are bigger and badder than you. (laughs) That doesn't sound very confident. But what God was showing them is you can't do it on your own. Quit trying to do everything on your own because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, there is no reason for these giants to be listed individually unless God wants us to understand some details. Maybe you've read this over before and you didn't really think about the giants in there, but if we look at each one of the names, we can study the characteristics and recognize that the same attitudes, the same spirits that existed back there in those giants exist today in people, in issues around you. So we've looked at the Hittites. Those were giants of terror and fear. We see that all over the world right now. The Girgashites were giants of confusion and double-mindedness. The Amorites were giants of self-exaltation and pride. The Canaanites were giants of humiliation. The Perizzites were giants of no boundaries or rules. The Hivites were giants of lying and deception. So let's look at the last giant that's listed in this group, the Jebusites. The Jebusites. The word Jebusite means to trample down or to be downtrodden. To trample down or to be downtrodden. This is a spirit that is trying to beat your life down and bring depression. You know, there's a lot of people dealing with depression in the world right now. I mean, the world of psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors is through the roof. You can go to a bookstore. There's section upon section of self-help books. This is a darkness that makes you think that your life will never get better. So as a result, why try? Well, why even make an effort? This is the way I'm going to be. It makes you surrender to the circumstances. It causes you to give up. You feel alone and deserted. You feel like there's no reason to go on. And the ultimate end of this, to the degree that you can't go any further, is people will take their own lives. They will commit suicide. Because again, what more is there to this life? So as a result of that, since this is such a heavy spirit, how do we overcome this? Go over to Philippians 4.4. Philippians 4.4. I love this verse. You should be speaking this over you. The Bible says, and Paul is speaking here, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Just in case you didn't get it the first time. He says to rejoice in the Lord, and then he says, again, I say rejoice, which means that if you keep applying that, you're just going to keep rejoicing. Amen? It's kind of like putting shampoo on your hair. You read the instructions. 
It says to pour on, rinse, or lather, rinse, and repeat. When do you stop? I've been shampooing my hair now for three hours. When do I stop? Same thing with rejoicing. You don't stop. You keep rejoicing. But you don't understand my situation. Doesn't matter what your situation is. You rejoice in the Lord. You look to the one who is going to get you out of your situation. Now, people will read this, and I've had people do this. They said, it's easy for Paul to say that. He was the chief of all the apostles. He wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament. Of course he can say that. Oh, do you understand the significance of where this writing came from? Paul wrote Philippians in prison in Rome. Now, that prison was next to a river. And in winter, which is when this book was actually written, the river would flood and seep into the prison. So where Paul was, he was standing in water of 6 to 10 inches deep in wintertime when he wrote this. I don't know if you've ever had to walk in a flood. I remember years ago, uh, we lived in a little town called McQuanago, and our basement got flooded. Awful. I mean, inches. You have to sit there and walk through that. That is miserable. This is where Paul was. Now, history tells us, and you can look this up, not only was he standing in water in the winter, but they couldn't seem to break this guy. They were trying to break his spirit. But this guy just kept rejoicing. So what they did on top of that is they strapped a dead body on his back. So he had to walk around, not only in water, but with this decomposing body on him. If that doesn't give you a reason to be depressed, I don't know what would be. On top of that, all his friends deserted him. And in the midst of that, he writes... Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So you don't have any reason to complain, any reason to be depressed, unless you have a dead body you're carrying around. You know, let me know, and then we'll talk. Paul recognized something greater. He found a cure in the midst of a bad situation. Go over to Philippians 4. Let's look at verses 9 through 13 and verse 19. Philippians 4, 9 through 13 and verse 19. Paul says this, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Can we just stop for a minute there? Could you say that to someone? Could you say to someone, Look at what I've seen. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've said and just repeat after me. Just follow my example. If people followed your example, would they be an example of Christ? I'm just asking. That's what Paul's saying here. And then he says, and the God of peace will be with you. 
But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you care for me and has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Let's think about that for a minute. Paul said, I've learned this, in whatever state I am, to be content. Even if he was in Ohio, whatever state he's in, he's going to be content. Even in Missouri, misery, he's going to be content. It doesn't matter what his circumstances. One translation says this, that I am independent of circumstances. We don't allow circumstances to dictate our life. We don't allow circumstances to move us. We are moved by the word. He says, in whatever state I am to be content, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many of you have ever said that in your life? Isn't that powerful? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's Christ who strengthens you. It's not by your own effort. So if we know we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, then we don't need to be downtrodden. We don't need to be depressed. Don't let that giant, that spirit, come upon you. And then he says this, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Look at that last part. My God, is he your God? Do you have a relationship with him? When we were singing that song about uh, leaning on Jesus, leaning on the love of the Father, I thought of the Apostle John, who was referred to as the beloved Apostle, that he would lay his head on Jesus' chest, which is a form of intimacy. It's a relationship that they had something between them. I think of when my grandchildren come to visit, the first thing, you just want to grab them and embrace them and not let them go. And they already know I'm going to do that, so they're running away from me. Papa never lets us go. Well, that's because you moved to Georgia, so I got to get all I can while you're here. But we do we have that relationship with the Father, that my God shall supply all your need. I'm sure every one of you in here has some type of needs. You have things that are required. When I think of needs in life, because a lot of times we mix up the term needs and wants. There's a lot of things we want, but do we need them? But just to appease you, he also says he'll give you the desires of your heart. But that's another teaching. So your needs are food, shelter, clothing. It says he'll supply those. So right now we're in an economic crisis. Right now I go to the gas station and fill up my car and it's $65. It's crazy. Crazy. 
and people look like, look at how am I going to pay for gas? It's just going to get worse. They say it's going to be at $6, $7 by the end of the summer. What am I going to do? Well, I just read right here that my God shall supply all my need according to his riches. Whose riches? Whose riches? Your riches? No, his riches. He's got a lot of supply. He's not in heaven wondering how he's going to pay the light bill. See, we can look at the news and look at what's coming, and it can cause us to be downtrodden. It can cause us to be depressed. We could get that spirit of the Jebusite on us. But I go to the Scripture that if my God is going to supply all of my need according to his riches in glory, I don't need to be depressed. Why can I rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice because my God supplies all my need. He is not limited by the economy. So what did Paul do? How did he beat depression? He lived a life with a grateful heart. When darkness comes, train yourself to go through life and look for the hand of God. Quit looking at the darkness. Quit looking at the... First of all, quit looking at the news. If you are shaken by the news, stop looking at it. Uh, I'm sorry, there is some news that I do want you to look at. How about the good news? We see a lot of bad news. Let's go to the good news. You know, sometimes we can't always explain why things happen. But we can look at the solution to those things. You can't look at the need or the problem or you get discouraged and tired. Paul said, I've learned to be content. I've learned to rejoice And that keeps the darkness out of me. Amen? So do not allow that giant of depression. But you don't get, you don't understand how bad I've got it. My problem's huge. Really? Oh, yeah, it's huge. It's giant. Well, the bigger they are, the harder they fall.